All right, sounds good. Good evening. Good to be here tonight. Uh, it's a privilege to be here, and I appreciate this church, and I appreciate Brother Kenny and Melanie and the kids and everybody. And we'll say a few more words about appreciation and thankfulness uh, uh, later on in the week uh, during the presentation and so forth. Uh, but I do want to say thank you, and it is, uh, it's great to be here, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful to be anywhere, uh, to be able to do anything for the Lord, uh, and I mean that sincerely. And oh, you know, as Christians, we get all these catchphrases and things that you're supposed to say. I want you to know I mean those things. <laughs> uh, I appreciate having something to do for the Lord, and I appreciate being here, and I appreciate you. I mean it. Uh, my wife, Sonia. If you guys will stand up back there in that row, if you don't mind, please. Uh, starting from left to right, that's my wife, Sonia. This is our, uh, uh, our church member and friend, Sarah. She is originally from Guatemala, uh, and she has had her, her, her Canadian passport for two days. So this is the first time she's ever been to the U.S. So I just want to take this opportunity to really embarrass her. No, I appreciate Sarah, and uh, that's my daughter, my oldest daughter, Mariah, and my youngest daughter, Cassia. Little Bo is in the, in the back, and uh, I think, no, oh, that's Uriah back there, yeah. Little Bo is in the back, and uh, my oldest son, he's 19, and uh, he's down in PBI going to school. He's in his first year this, uh, this year, so uh, God's been good. i got a great family, got a great church up there. Thankful for him. You guys can sit down. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's go ahead and get into the preaching here tonight. And uh, if you'll open your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 11, please. And uh, I know we, we have a theme for this meeting. And um, Brother Kenny was nice enough to give us leeway and say, well, you don't have to preach according to the theme, but there it is. But concerning the theme... Um, it, it did influence my thinking on this, and it got me thinking about uh, some certain things, and, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach to you. We've, we've actually sung about it a couple times tonight, and uh, uh, the, uh, the theme verse there where, where the Lord Jesus says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, that's worth considering uh, in your mind as we, uh, as we get into this message, but uh, um, so... I want to preach to you about, uh, and I'm not supposed to title a message this way, you know. Uh, you learn in preaching class that you're supposed to come up with, uh, with, with creative ways to say things and not just use the words of Scripture to, uh, uh, to make your points. But uh, I, I'm just going to, I'm a little bit meat and potatoes with this. Uh, this is of him, through him, and to him are all things, all right? That's Romans 11. 36, and we'll, we'll read it in a second. You know, and I could say, uh, well, he is, uh, he is the source, he is the channel, and he is the terminus, or something like that, but that's just a little bit too, that's, that's too much. Come on. I'd rather just stick with the Bible, of him, through him, to him. So I, I, I'm going to preach on that tonight. Um, <clears throat> before I do that, uh, I want to say a few things make a public service announcement about uh, climate change. How many of you appreciate climate change? <laughs> you know, we have, um, we have up in Montreal and in, in Quebec, uh, the province of Quebec, that's where Montreal is, but uh, I, I heard yesterday, I just found out that they passed this new, this new uh, I don't know if it's a law or some kind of a, uh, a mandate, whatever it is, uh, no more plastics for, for anything. Uh, are you, do you guys still have plastic bags here when you go to the grocery store? You do not, huh? Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a blessing, you know? To save the planet, we get to sack our own groceries, and you even have to bring the sack, you know? You know, aren't you glad that people are saving the world? Uh, um, you know, and I, kinda, I kind of identify with environmentalists on a couple of different points. Uh, one thing is we're both engaged in trying to save the planet, apparently, right? Now, I know that's not what the politicians are doing. They just want your money, but... And they'll use anything to, to get it. <laughs> but the people who really are true believers, they're, they're trying to save the planet. And we have that in common with them. We, we'd like to see the planet saved, you know, in, in the right way. So we, we got that in common. And I also, I heard uh, Brother Gipp say this many years ago, that we also share 
uh, a, a, common, a commonality with them, that we understand what the problem is. We have both identified the problem is man, <laughs> right? The problem of the scourge of this planet is man. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, we are the problem. I mean, it's not the same problem they think it is, but it's, uh, uh, it, that's the deal, right? So, um, and so, uh, you know, I, I uh, was enjoying global warming for a while, and then it got cold, and uh, so the, the climate change came. I'm not enjoying the climate change, the most recent one, as I was. Uh, I'll, I'll enjoy it again come springtime. Climate change will be great. It'll be great again. But, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> the problem is that the, environment, the environmentalist doesn't understand that there's just, a, there's just a natural cycle and process of things, right? And if he had a Bible, he would have some wisdom on it. The Bible says that uh, the, the Lord said back there uh, during Noah's day, uh, he said, uh, uh, summer and winter and seed time and harvest and uh, day and night shall not cease, right? Now, obviously, we know it's going to cease when he says it's time to cease. But until then, it's going gonna, it's gonna to run, run along just pretty much the way it has been. And, um, and so, uh, uh, you know, the problem with, uh, with the environmentalist, he doesn't understand that. And uh, there is a, a, a creation that God made, and he designed a way for it to work naturally, right? He designed a way, you know, the, the, there's oil spills, and people get all, you know, run around with their hair on fire about the oil spills in the ocean, and give it a few weeks, and the ocean cleans itself up, Right? God made it that way. He made it to take care of itself. Uh, most of the time, you have something wrong with your health, the way your body's made. It's made to kind of clean the thing up if you give it, give it a chance, right? I mean, you, most of the time you get sick, you get better. Unfortunately, there are some sicknesses that, that you know, eventually that's got to happen, and that's too bad. That's because of sin, and that's unfortunate. Thank God we, we have Jesus Christ, and if you have a sickness that leads you uh, to the end of this mortal life, then that's, that's actually not, in fact, where your life ends. And thank God for that. But there are, there are natural processes, right? Um, and so this is a natural process that we read about here in Romans chapter 11. Uh, it's a natural spiritual process. <laughs> when you get saved, uh, you get a new nature, and nature for you becomes, uh, a, a, it takes on a spiritual element to it. Uh, and God begins to work in you and with you, through you, in ways that he wasn't before you were saved. And so uh, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to read the, the text here, and then I'll say a few things about it. But let's go to uh, Romans 11, verse 34, and we'll read about this cycle. This is much like the water cycle, you know. It starts out in the clouds, it falls down on the land the, the, and, and into the rivers, and the rivers take it out into the sea, and it gets evaporated back up into the clouds again, right? You've seen that thing with the three arrows, the, uh, uh, the water cycle? Well, just imagine that uh, as the spiritual uh, cycle that we read here. Verse 34, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? comment on the fact that God is all sufficient in all things, right? He doesn't really need uh, to, to be added to in any way. And verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now that's the cycle that begins when you're born again. It begins in your, in your personal life. This, this cycle works in, in uh, different aspects, but I'd like to apply it, uh, make an application personally to your life tonight as a Christian. And so uh, we'll get into, we'll go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, uh, I need your help tonight and um, I want to say the things that you want me to say. And I, uh, I, my desire, Lord, our desire here, I think I can speak for everybody, uh, our desire here is that, uh, that you do your work. And Lord, uh, uh, as the verse says here, we want you to do that work. But you have to work with us because there's nobody else to work with. And so I pray that you would work uh, through us. And then at the end of this, that all glory would be returned to you where it belongs, where it's deserved. And we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read something to you uh, because I want to make a great first impression here uh, in this meeting. Don't you love it when the preacher reads something? 
Um, I, I, but this is, this is seriously one of the greatest illustrations that I have heard uh, on this particular subject. And uh, the fact is God wants, to, uh, God wants to do some things with you. And he has the power to do those things. And he wants to do some things with you. And uh, in, in one sense, it's up to you. And that particular sense is you have to make the decision to let him do that. And if you don't make the decision to let him do that, you're going to be in God's way of doing what he wants to do. Simple as that. And uh, like the environmentalist, we understand we can be a problem. <laughs> Man can be a problem. Man can get in the way of God's work. Have you noticed that? Now, I'm, I'm not going to put that like outward. I want to aim it at you tonight. And I want to help, I, I want to just remind you, have you think about this, don't get in the way of God's work. Because you are a man, or you're a woman, whatever, you're a human being with a human nature, and we have, we very much have the ability to get in God's way. I mean, uh, I, I'm not a Calvinist in any sense, you know. Uh, one time I thought I was, and, and then I found out I was predestined not to be one, okay, but... <laughs> We're not Calvinists. We believe that God has a work to do, but our decisions and our commitments to him or lack thereof or in submission to him can stop that work from happening, at least in our own lives and with regard to us, right? That's very true. And uh, uh, this is a, uh, did you ever hear, hear the origin story of Yellowstone National Park? You've got to hear this. This is a perfect example. Um, so, the history of Yellowstone Nat National Park, uh, it was the first wilderness to be set aside as a natural preserve anywhere in the world. The region around the Yellowstone River in, Wy in Wyoming had long been recognized for its wondrous scenic beauty. Lewis and Clark sang its praises. Artists like Bierstadt and Moran painted it, and the new Northern Pacific Railroad wanted a scenic attraction to draw tourists west. So in 1872, in part because of railroad pressure, President U.S. Grant set aside two million acres and created Yellowstone National Park. So they set aside these two million acres. There was only one problem, unacknowledged then and later. No one had any experience trying to preserve wilderness. There had never been any need to do it before, and it was assumed to be much easier than it proved to be. When Theodore Roosevelt visited the park in 1903, he saw a landscape teeming with game. There were thousands of elk, buffalo, black bear, deer, mountain lions, grizzlies, coyotes, wolves, and bighorn sheep. By that time, there were rules in place to keep things as they were. Soon after that, the Park Service was formed, which was a new bureaucracy whose sole job was to maintain the park in its original condition. Yet within 10 years, the teeming landscape uh, that Roosevelt saw was gone forever. And the reason for this was the park managers. The park managers, who were charged with keeping the park in pristine condition, had taken a series of steps that they thought were in the best interest of preserving the park and its animals, but they were wrong. They were very wrong. So here's what they did. The early park managers mistakenly believed that elk were about to become extinct. So they tried to increase the elk herds within the park by eliminating predators. To that end, they shot and poisoned all the wolves in the park. And then they prohibited the Indians from hunting in the park. I'm sorry, not Indians, right? We're supposed to be politically correct. We'll call them casino owner Americans. Um, so they, they prohibited the Indians from hunting in the park, though Yellowstone was a traditional hunting ground protected, the elk herds exploded and ate so much of certain trees and grasses that the ecology of the area began to change. The elk ate the trees that the beavers used to make dams, so the beavers vanished. And that was when the managers discovered that beavers were vital to the overall water management of the region. <laughs> when the beavers disappeared, the meadows dried up, the trout and the otter vanished, soil erosion increased, and the park ecology changed even further. By the 1920s, it had become abundantly clear that there were way too many elk, so the rangers began to shoot them by the thousands. But the change in the plant ecology seemed to be permanent. 
the old mix of trees and grasses did not return. It also became increasingly clear that the Indian hunters of old had exerted a valuable ecological influence on the park lands by keeping down the number of elk, moose, and bison. Man, imagine that. You know, what people forget is that mankind is a part of this system as well. You know, you know the, the uh, education today, they want you to believe that uh, nature is running as it should, but you're some sort of parasite on it, you know? That, you know, you're, you're, an, you're an, uh, an invader, an unwelcome invader. Well, wait a minute, you got here by natural processes too, according to them, right? Aren't you part of it? So, this belated recognition came as part of a more general understanding that Native Americans had strongly shaped the quote-unquote untouched wilderness that the first white men saw or thought they were seeing when they first arrived in the New World. The untouched wilderness was nothing of the sort. Human beings on the North American continent had exerted a huge influence on the environment for thousands of years, burning plains grasses, modifying forests, thinning specific animal populations, and hunting other extinction. And so, you know, I could read a little bit more of it, but I'll tell you what uh, the end of it is. Uh, what you have is a history of ignorant, incompetent, and disastrously intrusive intervention followed by attempts to repair the intervention, followed by attempts to repair the damage caused by the repairs, as dramatic as any oil spill or toxic dump. Except in this case, there's no evil corporation or fossil fuel economy to blame. This disaster was caused by environmentalists, charged with protecting the wilderness, who made one dreadful mistake after another, and along the way proved how little they understood the environment they intended to protect. Now, that is the best illustration I have ever come across personally on what happens when you try to get involved and control some processes and natural things. Really put your nose and put your hands in God's business. You try to control what God's doing, you are going to make us a, such a mess that you won't know up from down when it's over with. And that's how we are. And so we come back to the text here in verse 36. The solution to it is get, you get out of the way. <laughs> You'll notice that there's someone missing from verse 36. You. <laughs> of him, through him, to him are, are all things. And guess what, guys? And, and listen, I don't appreciate this any more than you do, but you and I don't enter, enter into it. We don't enter into it. What God's got going it's his plan. It's his deal. Now, the, the key to a, the successful Christian life, the key to allowing God to work is, is that in itself. It's allowing him to work. It's, it's understanding your role. And so uh, I'd like to say a few things about this. This is the Christian circle of life. And when your life is not all about him, you're going to lose your way. You're going to lose your purpose. You're going to lose your assurance, and you're going to lose your peace. Now, concerning the first point here, concerning the first statement that's made, of him, uh, the scripture says, all things are of him. You say, all things? That's right, all things. A-double-L. -L. Everything comes from him. Everything comes from his hand. Uh, the good things come from him. And we don't have any trouble recognizing that most of the time, right? I mean, we don't. Maybe the world, the lost world at large, they have a, a tough time acknowledging uh, the blessings of God. Uh, they think they're doing it all themselves, and, and uh, what, what a pitiful miscalculation that is. And I, I've talked to people before. We, we talk to people every Sunday on the streets of Montreal, and you hear all kinds of things, and, uh, and you get into arguments and discussions with people, and and they say, well, what? God doesn't have anything to do with anything. You know, uh, I, I did this my own way. I, I run. I've made my life. Really? Where'd you get your breath? Who's making your heart beat? Who's making your eyes blink, to be honest? <laughs> you know, who's, who's controlling those things that you don't even know what's going on in your own body? You're not controlling that. <laughs> well, I've worked for what I have. Who gave you the strength to work? Who gave you the mind to work? You see that? There's no recognition of it out in the lost world. But you and I, let's, I'll just skip over all that. You and I should understand that, right? 
You understand all the good things you have come from God. Um, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Isn't that true? And what can we do for God in that? You know, what, what is it about you that God needs? You know, uh, Brother Kenny, uh, uh, Brother Kenny uh, uh, God didn't save him because he needed an electrician in heaven, you know. I used to be a police officer. The Lord didn't save me, certainly didn't save me because he needed any police officers up there. I don't know what you do for, maybe you're a plumber. God didn't save you because he needed plumbing work done. Do you ever stop and think about what God got out of the deal when he saved you? You know, we get everything when he saves us. And I, I had a guy, a, a guy from Kenya this morning come to our church. And I'll, I'll say more about this in the presentation later in the week, but uh, the Lord's allowed us to, uh, to be able to minister to some refugees. Uh, our close, our, our uh, church just happens to be in very close proximity to one of the hubs where they come into the country, and, and they just wind up at our church. And it's a real blessing. They just wind up. It's of him, right? And so this guy came in, first time he came in this morning, he's an orphan, Grew up on the streets of one of, uh, uh, the, one of the most dangerous cities in Kenya and never knew the Lord, never knew anything about him. And since he's been in the hotel with some of the other, uh, uh, the other refugees there, there's a couple other Kenyan Christians. They've been talking to him and they told him he should get saved and told him how. And you know what he said yesterday? He said to them, he said, I'll never do that. I don't have any interest in that. He came to church this morning after, after the service. He came back in my office and trusted Christ as a Savior. And you see, the Lord did that. The Lord worked in him and through him, you know. And he's got to work through us. And he worked through some of those. I told those other guys that were talking to him, they, they've been coming to our church as well. I said, you know, uh, uh, one sows, one waters, and God gives the increase, right? And so you, their efforts and, and God, here's God moving a guy all the way across the world from Kenya to come to Montreal so he can hear the gospel and get saved, but that's what the Lord does. And that's a good thing. And, you know, here's this guy. This guy has been in drugs and guns and all kinds of stuff. He just, just drug up on the streets. What does he have to offer God? He has about the same thing to offer him that you have. Just a life of sin. That's what we have to offer the Lord. And Jesus Christ offers us everything. I like that song they sang, uh, uh, and, and he saved my life, what it says, right? He saved my soul, and he saved my life too. Amen. He saved my life. How? By doing all the good things that he does. So why is God so good to me? Because God's good. It's not because you deserve it. It's because he's good. It's his nature to be good. That fellow this morning that got saved, he said, I, I just realized, he said, uh, when you were preaching, I just realized that most of my friends are either dead or in prison. I don't know why I'm here. That's where I should be. And he said, I began to realize that God's shown me favor. He's shown me favor, and I, I owe him for that. And so I need to do this. He said, I said, well, you certainly can. You're welcome to. And he, we read the scriptures, and he asked the Lord to save him. That's the goodness of God leading somebody to repentance. The goodness of God, all things are of him. All the good things, all the bad things are of him too. Now that one's a little, more, a little tougher to understand, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> if you'll turn over there, we're told to despise not the chastening of the Lord neither faint when we're rebuked of him. Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord's going to let some trouble come into your life, and he's going to allow that trouble because he knows what he's doing and you and I don't. And you say, why is there trouble? I don't know specifics, but I know God knows, and I know that he allows it for his reasons, and it's from him. Verse uh, Six, Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. A chastening's a beating. 
and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That's a whipping. That's literally a whipping. That's what they did to Jesus Christ. They scourged him. Every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. You know what I have to do if I'm dealing with trouble in my life? I have to look up to my heavenly Father and I have to say, all right, Lord, it's because I'm your son that you're allowing this in. And you're a good father, so this must be for my good. And so I'm going to try to figure out what you want me to do in it. I'm going to try to figure out the right response in it. And that's always the case. Always. If you're saved, it's always the case that whatever's happening is for your good. And you know the verse. All things work together for good, right? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to His purpose. Well, if you're saved, God sees you as someone who loves God, and God has called you according to His purpose. That's every saved person. Every saved person, all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, you know what you do? You look at the trouble that you're facing in your life, and you think, there is absolutely no way that any kind of good can come out of that. You know what you can do, and I'm, and I'm very careful as I say this, because I know. You know what you can do? You can get upset with the Lord. And you can say, Lord, I know that verse is in there, but man, I sure don't, I don't see how that could be true. And you get mad with him. You get bitter at him. You get resentful. And you're going to have to believe by faith that all things work together for good for a little while. Until you start seeing what the Lord's doing. And during that time, it's going to try your faith. And God's going to say, are you going to believe my words or are you going to believe the circumstances? Are you going to believe my words or are you going to believe your feelings right now? Are you going to believe my words or are you just going to go on uh, uh, the appearances of things? You know, Jesus Christ said, uh, uh, don't judge after the appearance. Judge righteous judgment. You're not going to get the right judgment by looking at it. That's why he gave us these words. And you have to come to that and say, that says all things work together for good. So you know what, Lord, I'm going to believe that. I have no reason for believing it other than you said it. Because <laughs> I can't see anything good. But I'll trust you. I mean, you trust him and wait on him. And you know what you'll see? You'll see that it's of him. Because all things are of him. Spurgeon said, the blood-stained footsteps of the King of Glory may be seen along the road that we traverse this hour. You got a bloody way in front of you? Your feet hurting? Are you bleeding from wounds? You're dripping blood behind? You aren't the first. You're walking in his footsteps. Again, Spurgeon says, afflictions are often the black foils in which God doth set the jewels of his children's graces to make them shine the brighter. That's true. You've got to have that black backing before that jewel really stands out. Ann Judson, the wife of Adoniram Judson, she said, We learn in affliction what we cannot learn in mercy. There's some things you can't learn just enjoying the mercy and grace of God constantly. Just enjoying everything. Uh, I mean, there's some things that you can read about, but you can't learn them. We learn in affliction what we cannot learn in mercy. You know all things work together for good in Joseph's case, right? I mean, uh, his father's favoritism, uh, that... That didn't seem to be so great at the time. It turned all his brothers against him. Uh, how about his dreams? He tells his dreams. Probably wasn't the best idea to, hey, hey, guys, I had this dream where all of you were bowing down before me. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I, I don't know if he would have. I don't know if he would have been quite so open with that. Looking back on it, you know, and. Betrayed by his brothers, falsely accused and imprisoned. Somebody said, uh, a woman didn't put Joseph in prison. God put Joseph in position. 
Then he gets in there and the butler and the baker come in and he interprets their dreams for them. And they get out and, and well, one of them does. And they forget them. Leaves them down there in the prison. And then ultimately he rises to power and you see that the Lord was working all through his life. You know why it's easy to see what God was doing in Joseph's life? Because you've got a few chapters in the Bible that give you the whole story from start to finish. Right? And the story of your life doesn't go by quite so quickly as a few chapters in the Bible. And what you're going through right now, you can't see the end of it yet. Except through the eye of faith. That's why God gave you those examples. That's why God gave you those stories to encourage you to say, well... A bunch of other people made it through, and God was doing something. And just because I can't see what he was doing, can you imagine how often Joseph must have been discouraged? I know it never really, it never really mentions that he was, but he had to have been. There had to have been some dark, lonely nights. I mean, nights and weeks and months. And he had to just get up the next morning and put one foot in front of the other and say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm waiting for you. What's the alternative? End it? Well, you have, you have that option, but you're going to miss out on what God's doing if you do. You're going to miss out on a miraculous thing. Think of the, think of the things that, that happened. And the, the things that God was doing in Joseph's life got the nation of Israel in position for God to lead them out through the Red Sea and give probably the greatest type of the rapture of his people in, in the entire Bible. And that's all thanks to what he worked through Joseph. You think Joseph saw that? No way, man. Joseph saw four walls of a dungeon for a while. Joseph saw betrayal. Joseph saw a country that he wasn't familiar with, heard a language he didn't know, had to learn it. As an orphan, that's what he dealt with. So what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say you can see the picture of your life. It's, it might be low resolution, but you can see it through the, the eye of faith in this book. And you've got enough truth in the Bible to understand that all things are of him. All things are of him. The good and the bad and the ugly, Right? In John chapter 9, God allows a baby to be born blind and spend years that, that way as he grew into adulthood. Can you imagine the trouble that, that that man went through from a child to a boy, you know, from a boy, a child, a boy into young adulthood and into manhood, blind. Also, Jesus Christ could walk by and heal him. For one moment in time for Jesus Christ to be walking by. And he heals him. You know, his disciples said, how come this guy's blind? His parents did something wrong or he did something wrong? Jesus Christ said, neither one. He's blind for the glory of God. I had that happen for this purpose. And that's, I, listen, I'm not telling you I understand that. I'm telling you that's the God you're dealing with. And that's why he deserves our trust, and boy, we just need to, you know, he, he, he tells, uh, remember he asks all those rhetorical questions to Job? <laughs> Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? And Job says, uh, what? and the Lord says, shut up, don't interrupt me while I'm asking rhetorical questions. <laughs> it's me, Lord, <laughs> I'm the one, eventually he gets the answer, you know. I'm the one who is shooting his mouth off about things I didn't understand. And I'm sorry. Your, your ways are past finding out. I don't, you, I, I'm just going to let you have it. I'm going to let you have control. I'm going to let you do what you will. Why? Because all things are of him. Now, that isn't all. All things are through him, according to our text. For of him and through him and to him are all things, right? So all things are through him. Now, uh, we have salvation through him. John three seventeen. 
that the world through him might be saved, right? We have victory over our sin and victory over ourselves through him uh, and, and victory over death and peril and nakedness and sword and all those things in Romans 8. It says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. That's how you get your victory. It's through him. Our salvation comes through him and the salvation of our, of our souls, the salvation of our lives is accomplished through him. That is, with his strength. He said, all power is given to me in, in heaven and in earth. So he's got all the power, not you. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 We're saved through him. We are victorious through him. We can talk to the, our Father in heaven through him. Ephesians 2 and verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Through him. You know, you know why we pray in Jesus Christ's name? Because it's through him that we have access. And without him, God's not interested. <laughs> it's got to be through him. God sent, his, sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life, right? The way is the access. That's the way in. And your very life is lived through him and upheld through him. Look at uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. If you're going to live a life, it's got to be lived through him. 1 John 4 verse 9, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Your very life is through him. Now, the world's method of living, so-called living, is uh, manipulating outcomes. That's what the world does. The world tries to connive and deceive and, uh, you know, strong-arm people and intimidate people. And that's a carnal way of living. It's a carnal way of living to calculate and figure and, and plan and work and use people and use circumstances. And, and you know what that is? That's just make, that's putting yourself in the driver's seat and serving yourself. And you know what people learn how to do? They learn how to make other people think that they're nice people. But the only reason that they're being nice is so they can use them. Remember Samson, it says, uh, uh, it says that uh, he went to pick up his wife there at one point, one of them. <laughs> and he found out that she was given to his companion whom he had used as his friend. A friend doesn't use you. A friend is simply a friend. But that's the way the world works. And if you're not careful, that's how you'll, you know, that's, it's a sad thing, but... I don't think I'm exaggerating. I would say the majority, percentage-wise, the majority of Christians live their lives as practical atheists. Say, so, well, I, they, they, how can they be Christians? They believe in God, they go to church. Yeah, they believe in God, they go to church, they carry a King James Bible, they sing the songs, and they raise their hands, and they go back to their life, and they do exactly what the world's doing in their life at home. They think about their life. I'm not saying that they don't believe in God. It's just that with regard to the way they operate, it's as though God's not even there. It's all on them. You know, come to church, oh, God, I found it all in Jesus. And then you go back home, like, well, it's all on me. Is that how you're living? 
If it is, I, uh, listen, I'm not even trying to make, make hard on you th uh, tonight. I'm just saying there's a much better, much easier way. Let him do it. Now, listen, I'm not telling you this thing. I, I, it's, I, I've thought about this because I hear preachers, I've, I've heard since I was a kid, I've heard preachers say this, Lord, please get me out of the way, you know? Well, I understand what, what, where they're coming from when they say that. I understand what that means. That means don't let whatever it is in me that could hinder this to hinder it, right? But you can't get yourself out of the way unless you're dead. <laughs> Not really. Well, take, take me out of the way. You can't take yourself out of the way. God's got to use you. <laughs> you can't be out of the way. You're supposed to be in His way. Not in the way, in His way. <laughs> okay? If you're just in the way, you're, you might be threatened with being taken out of the way. <laughs> but if you're in His way, then that's where He wants you. You, you look, at the, uh, look at the disciples. Look, look at the apostles. Uh, we're, we're teaching through um, the book of Matthew in Sunday school at, at uh, our church. and uh, Matthew was an individual. And you can't read the book of Matthew without reading Matthew. And Luke was an individual. And you can't read the book of Luke without reading some things about Luke. You understand some things about the author of a book when you read it. Luke has a tendency, Luke's a doctor, right? He's a medical doctor. He has a tendency to focus on the humanity of Christ. And it kind of makes sense. Because he's accustomed to dealing with hum human uh, illnesses and frailties, right? So you notice those things. So the, the, the personality of the instrument comes through, but God wants to use that. So... The thing is, don't get out of the way. Submit yourself to His way. When you do that, then it can be Him working through you. Now, when you're doing it, well, I'm going to get up, you know, I'm going to preach here. So I'm going to get up here and preach this message. You know what I can do? Uh, I've been preaching since I was, uh, well, I mean, when I was 19. I wouldn't really call it preaching when I was 19, looking back on it, but. I've been preaching since I was 19. I'm 43. You know what I can do? I can stand behind a pulpit and I can preach a message. And if I do that, it won't be worth a dime. <laughs> but if I can submit myself and say, Lord, this is what you asked me to do. And this is the opportunity that I have to serve you tonight. And I want to say what you want me to say. And I don't want to do anything or say anything that's out of the way or out of your way. So I'm, I'm giving this to you. I'm asking you to help me. And then what do I do? I have to get up and preach. <laughs> i got to stand here. i got to open my mouth. But the key is the submission part. You submit those things to him. And that's how your day should start every day. You ought to get out of bed in the morning and let your knees hit the floor before your feet do and say, Lord, I want to live this day to your glory. And I ask for your blessing. And right now, right here and now, I submit myself to you. Your will is best. You're my Father. All things are of you. And all things are through you. And so I'm asking you to do through me what you want to do. And I don't even know what that is. <laughs> but I'm asking you to do through me what you want to do. So how, how exactly does that work? The best way you can. <laughs> I mean, really. Like the best way you know how, tell the Lord that's what you want, and then watch what happens. And you know what you'll find? You'll find yourself placed in positions where God can use you. You'll find yourself in His way. You know, when things just happen, you know, you just happen to meet people, you know, <laughs> right? We're going on this trip today, and we were not as prepared as we ought to have been. And, uh, you know, I knew it was going to be a tight schedule, finishing church at our church this morning and getting down here four and a half hours in time to, uh, to be here for church tonight. So I knew we were, we were looking at a pretty tight window. And uh, I didn't think much about it, but I thought, man, I don't even know if we're going to have time to eat. So we get to church, and one of the ladies in our church, uh, her husband, he likes to cook. He's a really good cook, actually. And he made his own sausage. 
And so she brings a big, she makes, brings a big sausage, like a, like a salami, you know? She brings, she said, my, my husband, he wasn't able to be there this morning, but she said, my husband made this for you. He wants you to have it. And, and we said, did you know we're going on a trip? She said, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> so we get out to the car. We've got this, this sausage. It was really good, too, by the way. <laughs> we get out to the car. We can slice this thing up. And my wife opens up her purse, and she says, hey, there's cheese in here. She bought it, okay? It was not a naturally occurring thing in, in her purse. You know. Just to reassure you there. She bought it yesterday, threw it in the purse, because we have no plastic bags. And forgot to take it out of her purse. So here we are, we're on the road, we're trucking, we got no time to stop. I barely got time to stop and get gas, and we got food. The Lord gave us some food to eat on the way down. That's a blessing. That didn't just happen. <laughs> the Lord put the, it's, it's just a, such a little thing, but the Lord did that. Through him, through him. And you're, you're going to have to assume a position of weakness, and nobody likes that, right? You've got to assume a position where even if you feel like you can do something, you, you have to acknowledge that you really can't. Uh, Rick DeMichael said, the strength of weakness is that it limits our options. So that doesn't sound like a good thing. Yeah, it is. The, the fewer options you've got, the easier decision you've got to make. Number two, it equips us to minister. You know, you go through something, you hate going through it, but you're able to help somebody in the end. Uh, it reveals our dependency on God. You need to be reminded of that often. It purges personal dross. It causes what's wrong with you to come to the surface and that's a, that's a painful and, and hateful process, right? But then again, it, it gets taken care of. You can get rid of it. You can get that victory. It purges relational dross. You find out who your real friends are sometimes, going through trouble. Not, it's, again, none of these things are comfortable, but they sure are good. You know, that verse says all things work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. It abases pride. It causes us to realize God's strength. That's what weakness does. And we hate it. But it's one of the best things for us. Uh, you can't. Um, you say you're going to finish that sentence. I did. <laughs> you can't. You have to tell the Lord you can't. Uh, I tell the Lord, uh, not every day, but on a regular basis, I say, God, I cannot be a man. I cannot be a husband. I cannot be a father. I cannot be a pastor. I can't do it. I've tried to do those things and made a mess in every area. But you can do, you're in me and you can do those things through me. So please do so. I can't do any of that. God's got to do it. I, don't, I can't raise my kids. I can't raise a son with a desire to, to love God and serve God and go to Bible college. I didn't do that. God did that. And God got him down there. And if he does anything for the Lord, it's going to be God that does it through him. And to God be the glory for all of it. Can't do anything. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 30 says, but of him, let's, let's look at this. We ought to get this. What time we ought to be done here, brother? About now? <laughs> I'm not even sure how long I've been going. I'm, I'm, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a great verse. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. But notice uh, verse 30. Jesus Christ is made unto us 
wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Um, the, uh, the, the old Chinese martyr, uh, Watchman Nee, he tells a story about staying, he was in evangelism uh, and staying over here in the States, in New York, actually, at one point. Uh, this is like around, <clears throat> it's around 1900 or something, I think. I'm probably getting the dates wrong, but around there somewhere. And he's staying with a Christian couple that, that were in the church there. And uh, where he was preaching, he's staying with them upstairs. And he comes downstairs one morning, and this young Christian couple with kids, they're just sitting on the couch with their faces buried in their hands. And they look up and they say, oh, hey, preacher, you know. And he says, good morning. And, and they get up and they say, <clears throat> they're looking really distraught. And they say, preacher, would you, um, would you do us a favor? Would you please pray for us? Uh, we, uh, we have been, we, uh, we're, we're up to here with these kids. We're, we're, we're yelling at them. We're yelling at each other. Uh, we feel like complete failures. And, and we're just, we're really, we really need patience. Would you pray to God that God would give us patience? And Watchman Nee said, I'm not going to do it. And they, they kind of looked a little stunned. And they said, well, well why not? Are we, you, you've been staying with us long enough to realize we're, we're too far beyond helping? <laughs> like there's no hope for us? Is that, no, 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 that's not it, he said. He said, I'm not going to pray for you for something that you already have. And they said, what are you talking about? He said, you have Jesus Christ in you, and he has patience. You see, you have everything you need. And so, that's very true. You may, you may think that you're lacking somewhere. I don't have the strength to do this. I don't have the wisdom to do this. Uh, I can't live right. I just can't seem to get, the, get things right. I've got this sin that keeps coming up and it's nagging and dragging me down. I'm never going to be able to get victory over it. You need to realize something. If you're saved, you have Jesus Christ in you. And he has everything you need to fix whatever problem you have. You don't need to pray for it and wait for it. You've got it. What you need to figure out how to do is let him work through you. That's what you need to figure out. You say, how do I do that? The best way you know how. So I don't like that answer. Well... If you don't like how things are going in your life, why don't you get down on your knees, get down on your face before God and say, God, that verse says, I can do this through you, and I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, right? It says that so. Help me figure out how to do that. I want that. I want you to do that through me, and I don't know how to do it. Here is me doing it. This is me doing the best I can. Here, here I am, Lord, do it. You do it through me. I'm tired of doing it myself. I'm tired of the, of the consequences of doing it myself. You get serious with him. You get serious with him like that, you think he's going to ignore that. He's going to show you how to do it. He's going to give you peace about it. He'll show you what needs to be done. Don't pray for that which you already have. You got Jesus Christ, you've got it all. You just need to figure out how to access it. You need to figure out how to let him come through. How about he must increase and I must decrease? In that order. You know how you do it sometimes? You think that if you decrease, then he's going to increase. No, he increases first and then you decrease. That's the order. That's the biblical order. All right. Finally, all things are to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him. This one has to do with dedication and loyalty and debt. Everything that comes to you from God and everything that's done through you and with you through God and through the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately needs to find its way back to him. By you giving him glory. By you giving him thanks. I said earlier, you know, that, that God didn't get a deal. He didn't get the deal when he got you at salvation, right? He's not the one who walked away going, look what I got. <laughs> we walked away going, look what I got, right? But you know the one thing that he doesn't have that you can give him? 
gratitude. If you haven't given him your gratitude, he doesn't have it. Isn't that true? So that's what we can give him. We can give him gratitude. And the good news is, he really doesn't want a lot more than that. (laughs) He'll take care of the rest of it. Just in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Guys, I can't can't emphasize it. The Lord has to do it. I mean, he has to show you what I'm saying here, because there's only so many ways you can say it. And I'll be honest with you, it seems, uh, it seems really simplistic to say it. But you, you know God's with you all the time, right? I mean, if you're saved, He's with you all the time. Everything that you do, everywhere that you go, you ought to be living before God. When you pump your gas, you ought to be with Him. When you eat your breakfast sandwich in the morning, you ought to be with Him. When you buy your, uh, your groceries, you ought to be with Him. It's not, you don't just come visit Him in church, you know. You're with him and he's with you all the time. And you need, whether you have acknowledged this yet or not, you need him to buy a box of cereal. You need him. And if you'll acknowledge him in all those ways, I can promise you something. Man, it's, it's going to be a lot closer walk with him. And it's going to be a lot more thanksgiving that you give to him. If you realize he's with you and doing all these things and helping you out all the time, the more you pay attention to that, the more you have to say, thank you, God. Hey, thanks for that salami. (laughs) Thanks for that cheese. Yeah, I mean it. (laughs) Thanks for that. Man, thank Lord, thank you for these shoes. Thank you for this pair of pants and this coat. Thank you. Look at this carpet and these chairs here. Nice cushion to sit on. Thank you, Lord. I know we complain about uh, we complain about Biden and and you know Castro the second that we have up there. <laughs> we complain about them, but you know when I, when you think about it, we got it pretty good. When you think about it, you understand we live in a country and you live in a country where there's there's really no limitation on what you can do for God. Everything this book tells you to do for the Lord, you can do it. You got the liberty to do it. That's a pretty good setup. A lot of people don't have that setup. Wish they did. I mean, I met some of them this morning. <laughs> I met some refugees this morning and had to leave their country because uh, some of them leave because they're Christians. I got a couple of Iranian guys. They're, they're in our church right now because they decided that they didn't agree with the Muslim rule in Iran. And so they targeted them for death. And they had to get out. You never heard it. You never been in shoes like that. We don't have to think about things like that. They got a fear for their lives. That's something to be thankful for. We, we really, we're not hindered. We go out and preach on the streets and get the tracks out. I mean, the, the worst trouble we get is somebody yelling at us sometimes getting mad and yelling at you. And for that, a lot of people won't even, won't even do it because they don't want to go through that. But that's nothing. That's not a problem. That's not a hindrance. That's not going to stop you from serving God. Thank God for what we have. We owe Him. We owe Him a lot. We owe Him everything. And some Christians will use the excuse that, well, I can never repay what he did for me. Yeah, but you can try. You can try harder. We're spoiled. We. We. We are pathetically spoiled. And uh, one of the most difficult things that we can do in our spoiled and overly abundant society is to actually find some way to suffer for Jesus Christ to any degree. To find some way to bear some kind of reproach, to find some way to to be uncomfortable for Him. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to heed the counsel of Revelation 3 
where he counsels the Laodiceans, why don't you go buy some gold? You're not going to make it naturally. You know, there, there are some people who came before you, they got some gold just because that's the circumstance of their life and they stood for Jesus Christ because of the circumstances. Yeah, but you don't have any circumstances. So you're going to have to go dig for some gold. Buy gold. You know, what, you know what it takes to buy something? A cost. So what you and I are going to have to do is seek out a cost. If you want to suffer something for him. Something. You know what I'm, I'm glad for? Really, I'm glad for this. I'm glad that sometimes I have to serve the Lord tired. I'm glad for it because I'm so spoiled that that's pretty much the hardest thing I have to do. <laughs> I was on my way to a meeting out west earlier this year, and we drove all day and all night trying to get to this meeting. And I was supposed to preach. It was a Saturday night we're driving. I was supposed to preach Sunday morning. And it's 5 a.m., and we're two hours away from where we're supposed to be. We're about an hour away from where we're supposed to be. And I got a flat tire at 5 a.m. in the middle of nowhere in Montana. And listen, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I enjoyed that, okay? Because I, I didn't enjoy it in the sense of like, hey, praise God, I get to change a flat at 5 a.m., no, but after I, after I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, this, this is not, I, I've seen some trouble. This is not real trouble. This is just tiredness. Just tired. And you know what you can do? You can go forward when you're tired sometimes. And later on, I said, you know what, God? I, I'm, I'm glad I get to do something tired. At least it makes it a little more difficult. The cost is a little greater. Maybe that's a little more valuable to you. Amen. You know, what, what are you willing to do when you're tired? Anyway, you know what? You won't let being tired stop you from what you want to do. You'll go without sleep so you can get up in the morning and go hunting. Right? You know, one of the best things about driving in here five minutes before church started, you can't take any of this personal from me because I don't know what you're doing. You have to take this from the Lord because I don't know what you're doing. I don't know who you are or what you're doing, right? So won't you, won't you sacrifice your, your sleep for something you really want to do? How about just make serving the Lord what you really want to do? And you won't mind being tired for it. In fact, you'll be able to be thankful for it and say, Lord, well, at least there's this difficulty. Listen, there's a lot greater difficulties that you're not having to face right then. <laughs> Man, I was changing that flat, and I was thinking, all my kids are healthy, and all my kids are saved. And my wife uh, and my little baby is in the car, and we had a flat. It's only one tire. I got a spare. It could have been two tires, and then I'd have been stuck. <laughs> I, got a, I got a spare tire. We didn't wreck the car. Changed it in about 15, 20 minutes. We're back on our way. Hey, that's not a big deal. Thank God there's a lot worse that could happen. <laughs> Went home, uh, I mean, we got to where we were going, I uh, got in the bed about 6 o'clock, and then uh, 7.30, the baby woke up. <laughs> and so did we. Get ready for church. Gratefully. Gratefully. Thank God. Why? For an opportunity to buy some gold. Just a little opportunity. Please don't take this in the wrong spirit. I am not bragging. There is nothing to brag about. <laughs> But I, I'm telling you the truth, I, I, do, I do want an opportunity. I want to seek out that gold and buy some of it. And you're going to have to do that in this day and age. And in the countries that we live in, there's just not, uh, Brother Loman in Ukraine, you're, you're not going to have to look very hard to find some hardship over there. And neither does Brother Demopoulos, and neither does Brother Rue over there. And the Christians over there, they're not having to look very hard for, uh, for suffering, you know. But we got, that's the shape we're in over here. We've got to look for it. But he's worth it. We owe him. We owe him. 
We've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, right? We owe him our commitment. We owe him glory. To him be glory and honor and dominion and power, right? To him, to him. We owe him honor. Honor is to elevate somebody publicly by word or action. That's what honor is. You ought to speak of him. You ought to lift him up. Speak of him sometime to a stranger. Hey, let me tell you what my God did for me. Honor him and give thanks to him. It's not all about you. And matter of fact, we, we just don't really factor into it. It's of him and through him and to him. So let me ask you something. Are you committed to that cycle? Are you submitted to that cycle? If not, why not? If so, praise the Lord. It's going to be a daily thing. It's going to be a daily submission to say, Lord, all right, this is not about me. <laughs> this is about you. You need to see things the way he sees them and then render the proper response to him. You need to believe this verse. All things are of him. All things are through him. All things are to him. All right, let's bow our heads for prayer, brother.